Howdy! Zephyr here, your big, fluffy, derpy, stripey host for this evening. This is episode 7 of our Therian Talk series, and today's topic will be what? The Howls. As the title suggests, we'll be discussing Howls. What are they? What did they start as? What have they become? Why are they important? And most importantly, why aren't they called Catterwalls? In today's discussion, we have a returning guest, the Fedorable Bear with that variable flair, Bear X. Say hi, Bear. Howdy. I really love the Fedorable. It's, it's, very, <laughs> it's very cute. Anyway, it's great to be back. Good to hear. And a new guest on the show, the Wolfie Meiji Dadger and Badger Romancer, Stormdancer. Hey, all. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's good to have you. So today we're discussing a staple of the Therian community, something that's played a vital part in its past, but has dwindled a bit over the last few years. It's starting to see a little bit of a revival. As community members are trying to figure out how to host and coordinate Howls, it kind of seems like it's a good idea to discuss their history and maybe some of the more important nuances of them. Maybe even hear a few stories from the past and help up-and-coming hosts consider the potential impact of these gatherings. So uh, we're going to start things off with Stormdancer. Since this is your first time on these talks, introduce yourself and give a little bit of background about your time in the Therian community. Yeah, I'm a storm dancer and I identify as Badger and Wolf, and I've been in the Therian community for over 20 years. When it comes to Howls, I've hosted, I've helped host, helped run a lot of them, and um, I guess that's it. All right. So for those who are tuning in and aren't familiar with Howls, what would you define them as? Howls are um, gatherings, most usually campouts, where a bunch of wearers or Therians get together and just enjoy each other's company, get to know each other better, uh, forge friendships, discover themselves more, and all that kind of stuff. All right, Bear, anything to add with that? Well, sure. As a storm dancer said, traditionally... They're back-to-nature gatherings, uh, campouts, but uh, they don't have to be. I suppose when any two or more Therians get together and hang out, you could call it a howl. Or if they're exclusively some other species, a chuff or a hiss or whatever, the um, some of the reptile community, when they've had reptile get-togethers, they were called hisses, and uh, there were a few bears who I'd get together with occasionally, and we'd have chuffs. It's a similar uh, idea. You know, it's a fun name, but it is a serious thing, and that's uh, fostering community relationships. Being together online is fine, but offline is better. It's it's where those relationships really get cemented. I just kind of want to point out, though, too, that it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific species for it to be, you know, a chuff. Um, during the last Howl in Virginia 2018, you and I were the first attendees, so technically that would have been a chuff, right? Uh, yeah, I guess it would have. <laughs> we both chuff. <laughs> All right, so Stormy. When did the howls actually begin and why? The howls, I think, I think Bear knows a bit more about that than I do. I started in, uh, the first howl I went to was in uh, 1998 in the Southeast Howl. I think Bear had been to a few before that. Uh, Bear? So um, the first attempt to get one together was in March of 1994. There was a guy named uh, Smash Grey Wolf. He was trying to get one going in the Midwest at a campground there. But it was on very short notice, and it fell apart because hardly anyone could make it. So he set a new date uh, in November, 
and that became the first official howl. It was the Harvest Howl, and that was in uh, November of 1994, and I think there were something like 10 attendees. Uh, I was super bummed because I couldn't make it, um, as in college, and eh, you know how that goes. Um, but I did make it to the next one, which was the Spring Thaw Howl. It was in April of 1995. And uh, after that, I went to the second Harvest Howl, which was in November of 1995. Uh, one of the folks in AHWW, uh, Alt Horror Werewolves, uh, his name was Firewolf. He had a big farm in Ohio, and that's where those were held. There were plenty of empty fields and stuff, and so we used them for back-to-nature camping. Uh, there was woods all around for hiking and the like. Uh, at that spring thaw howl, there were probably 15 of us, and uh, it had grown to 2025 20, by the second harvest howl. And at that point, there were so many attending that it started to break up into smaller howls in different parts of the country. There were micro howls too. I, uh, you know, little howls with three to five attendees. Anyway, there weren't many participants for those, but they happened a lot more often. Uh, there was a few Therian pals I would get together with every summer for years uh, and spend a few days just reconnecting. Uh, and I had some camping trips with some other folks. Uh, as for the why, I think being able to get together in person, there's a sense of camaraderie that you don't get with the online presence. You get to be close with people online. But when you're with them physically and you're talking and you're around the fire, you can see their facial expressions and the little bits of their personality and really get to the heart of the animality that each of them experiences. And it's fascinating to me, at least, to be able to hang out with folks and feel that sense of wolf or tiger or badger or whatever that you get from them. And it helps with the reality of it, that you're not alone in that Therian experience. All right, Stormy. So what were some of the components of Howls when they first started and uh, how did they change over time? Like what kind of events did you all have? What things didn't work out? Any kind of insights about this? Well, it started out just as your basic uh, camping get-togethers, you know, tents, campfire, cooking over the fire and hiking, nature stuff, whatever we could do then. And eventually it started transforming into more of a spiritual aspect of things. We would have um, sit there and talk about uh, our therianthropy more, spirituality. We would have uh, sweat lodges, get creative with building stuff together like you know drum circles uh flutes stuff like that i think i think it varied with the groups uh like storm dancer the ones i went to were mainly camping trips uh although there were specific things that kind of always happened particularly with the larger uh groups we'd always have a, a group meal where we'd all sort of pitch in and and share food fire jumping was a big thing risky though and now as a parent i'm like ah fire jumping <laughs> yeah we did fire jumping um we'd often talk about our experiences and sometimes we'd have a talking stick you know and, and pass that around whoever had the stick was the one who could talk the smaller house were more like hangouts sometimes we engaged in spiritual practices or guided meditation uh trying to find ways to get a deeper experience of the animal for me it was because of integration there were a few of us who have uh kind of dissociative experiences of therianthropy almost like uh the inner critter is not fully integrated, and as a result, the pack that I was part of had similar experiences to that. So one of the things we did was talk about you know, how that worked and why we felt that way and ways of becoming more integrated and connecting more strongly with that part of ourselves. And so they, they were sort of howls with a purpose. Okay, and I guess just to kind of bounce off that a little bit, for future howls where you didn't have that same 
familiarity with like the disassociative part of it. Um, did you find that you were learning more from that or did you find that maybe it made you feel more secluded or isolation? Well, as a bear, I tend to be a little bit of a loner anyway. So I was comfortable whether I was chilling alone in front of my tent or whether I was gathered with everyone around the fire. So there was never a time when I felt isolated or excluded. Uh, if I was excluded at any point, it was because I had physically chosen to sort of step back and gather myself together as a natural introvert, uh, right. sort of you know, reclaiming my strength. Fair enough. Okay, so when and why did the house start to die down? Honestly, I have no clue. I pulled back from the online community uh, in the mid-2000s. I was still getting together with my offline Therian friends then and, and involved with them. So I guess I was still attending Howls, but wouldn't really call them Howls because we would be like playing video games or chilling out because I lived near a couple of folks. But yeah, life happened, careers, kids, and the rest. And, and when I came back to the online community a few years ago, uh, folks just didn't seem to be having Howls anymore. If I had to guess, I think much of it is the age of the majority of the community. They're, they're much younger. And it's hard for someone who's, say, 16 to be able to go off and hang out with a bunch of internet strangers for a few days. Parents tend to get nervous at that idea. Uh, I've had nearly all good experiences, though, and, and I suspect that most of the Therian community is fine. We're really good at policing our own. Um, but it does present a risk, I suppose. Storm, has that been your experience? Yeah, I, I noticed that around the mid-2000s is when it started dying down because um, you had a certain number of people that, that hosted it at that time. And like you said, life gets in the way. Uh, things happen. People move on. Things get busy in life. And we just couldn't all travel like we used to back then. All right. So several members of the Therian community have made efforts in reviving Howls recently. What kind of advice would you give to new hosts, and what do you think needs to be considered when hosting Howls? You know, as far as hosting Howls and stuff, there is quite a bit of work there. you got to research the site. Is it big enough for how many people that you think is going to be there? The environment as well. You know, are there fire bans? Uh, what's the weather like? Storms? That kind of thing. The logistics of getting everyone there from wherever they come in an airport to the site. Food. That kind of thing. Yeah, thinking about it myself, the ones I've hosted have all been sort of mini howls where it's been a few folks who I already knew well, had experience with from getting together previously with them. So I, I don't know. I mean, if I had to give advice, I'd say just do it. I mean, really find some Therians who live near you or ones that you know and get together. If they're ones that, you, that are near, go have dinner or go for a hike or, or see a movie that you all like. Because in my mind, it's all about being together as friends and a community. It doesn't have to be a deep and serious spiritual thing. They often are, and that's great, but, it, but it's not required, as long as it helps you bond as friends. As for the things to consider, well, that's a little harder, because a lot depends on the type of gathering you're planning. If it's something like a movie night, well, that's easy. But uh, a camping trip is harder, because as uh, Storm Dancer said, you've got to consider location, the experience of the participants, planning out what you want to do. And if you're just starting out, well, maybe do a casual day hike first. Get to know each other because a camping trip is a lot more involved. It just goes on and on. Fair enough. And I guess this is where I kind of like to step in with my own personal comment, too. I had the same kind of question myself a while back. I mean, last year was the first time I've ever been to a howl. Um, but I had heard from a few members of the, the Therian and Ware communities that there were just things that were kind of heralded, almost legendary, held in great regard 
and they just didn't happen anymore. So um, I found myself wondering, well, okay, why aren't these happening anymore? And why isn't anybody hosting them? Um, and it's kind of like you said, just do it. Um, I kind of had to take the mentality of, okay, no one's hosting it around here. So why can't I do it? Um, and you know, that's when I reached out to you and a few other people and kind of got some insights as far as how to run these things. Um, you did a fantastic job. It was, it was, it was great. And if I can do it, anybody can. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey. Oh, no, I didn't mean that, <laughs> wow. I didn't mean that, that way. <laughs> but no, I'm I mean, seriously. Feline offended. <laughs> we all had a blast. It was, it was good. <laughs> so, all right. I think we're back to you, Bear. For those who haven't attended a HAL before, what would you recommend that they know beforehand? And uh, do you have any advice as far as like equipment or gear to bring? Uh, I'm going to assume you mean a traditional HAL, the camping sort? Yes. So first, the advice I'd give to anyone when they're going to be outdoors for any uh, long period of time, uh, HALs are typically uh, over a weekend, sometimes a little longer, uh, plan to dress in layers. Uh, the temperature usually varies a lot over the day. Starts out cold in the morning or overnight, and it's by the afternoon you're sweating. So, uh, dress in layers. Have an idea of what the highs and the lows are for the season, and then use that to figure out what clothes to bring and wear layers, and, and that works out. Have a quality tent and bug spray. You might want to share with other participants things like food, or or even the tent if they're folks that you know and trust. Oh, you can always bring to something that you've been reading or a musical uh, instrument, something that you can share. Howls are a great time if you've got a talent that you can demonstrate. Um, and, you know, for some reason, every single time I've been to one of the large howls, there's always been at least one person with a didgeridoo. Uh, and that's an instrument I don't run across anywhere else. And I've, not, I've always wondered why it is there's always a didgeridoo at a howl, but it, it seems to happen a lot. Oh, now see, that kind of makes me feel bad. I didn't bring mine last year. See, you would have had a ditch. I I suspect Storm Dancer probably owns one. No, I don't, but that's a good point there. Um, The house I went to, there was always someone with a didgeridoo as well. See? (laughs) What would you bring? Uh, I don't have any musical instruments, but I would probably bring the, um, I guess, relics, you could call them, the two-by-fours. Oh, those are legendary. I will go into that story later. (laughs) So I guess as far as like what to pack and bring, if there's a camp website or something along those lines, typically there are checklists that you can print out just to make sure you have everything that you need. And in the case of like the howls that we have in threads at TG, if you're not sure, ask. The worst that can happen is that no one knows and at least it's on the radar so people can answer and say, yes, you need to bring this or no, you don't. All right. Um, so now we're going to get into kind of darker and scarier subjects. So barracks, are the Therian hunters going to come and get us? Wow. The, the trollish part of me wants to say, of course, <laughs> but uh, no, <laughs> there's no such thing. Uh, there was an encounter at the second Harvest Howl, and I, I wonder whether or not this led to the, this idea of Therian Hunters. Apparently, uh, some local had heard about the Howl from AHWW because it was a public news group. And at the time, a lot of college students were using Usenet. And because it was publicly announced on there, including where it was being held, some folks just decided to show up and troll us. Uh, they, uh, they rolled up in this red pickup truck and they were, you know, hanging out on the back. And uh, they were, they were some, uh, some local good old boys. And I think they were expecting us to be, you know, a bunch of wimps or internet dorks. And, and I think they were honestly surprised when it turned out that we came from all walks of life. I mean, one of the guys who was attending was law enforcement. There were a couple of folks there who worked out constantly. 
and a lot more who were just ready to jump in if things got uh, hairy. No pun intended. Yeah, right, exactly. But ultimately, <laughs> they, uh, they decided that, uh, that we were pretty cool, and uh, they ended up hanging out and having a beer with us. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess what folks call Therian hunters are, for the most part, your standard bullies. The house I went to, we never had anything like that happen to us. We've had, you know, the good old boys and stuff, but usually it was, you know, share beer with them and, you know, have some good laughs, and that's about it. But no bullies, no hunters or people giving us a lot of guff. Maybe we should add beer to the list of things that one should bring. It seems like a situation diffuser. <laughs> to all of the pups out there, don't drink beer. Beer is bad. Yeah, don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. All right, moving on. So what were some of the social dynamics in past howls? Were they always mostly wolves? Is that why it's, you know, called a howl? Or were the species kind of mixed up? Since it was called a howl, did they have sort of a packish feel, even if different theriotypes were there? Or, you know, were they mostly predator or prey therians? Was there a balance? Even how was, like, mainstream or non-therian attendance viewed? I guess I'll start with you, Stormy. There's a lot that I just threw at you, but... Yeah, we uh, we had a wide variety of uh, species there. Uh, you know, your typical wolves, of course, coyotes, foxes. I think we have had like a deer and a rabbit at one point. No one was hunted. No one was, you know, chewed on or anything. But we all got along real well together. It did sort of have that package feel once we got comfortable and knew each other. But it was just that feeling of togetherness that we had something about ourselves that we were sharing with everyone else. Right. Yeah, in my experience, the larger howls were mostly wolves. The smaller howls tended to be more variable, and I think that's just because I tended to know a wide variety of, of folks, so that was probably coincidence on my part. And there were a few various other species. Um, some praetherians, although they were at the time much more rare, and polytherians were also much more rare, and there were a few... And in like the first 20 years, I was part of the community. I think I knew one, but it wasn't, no one viewed any of it judgmentally. So it wasn't exclusionary in any kind of way. I tended to be more of a loner, but that's my nature. And the the larger groups had smaller groups within them. You know, uh, I want to use the word packs. I mean, clicks might be more appropriate, but you have people whose personalities mesh more closely than they would with with other people and so they would they would form groups and so those therians who already knew each other well would have a strong bond and they'd kind of camp in a cluster so you'd have these uh spotty campsites with groups in between them so like a little cluster a little cluster a little cluster and i guess it's what you'd expect it wasn't a problem but it was just a a, a sort of natural grouping that happened uh, right what you'd expect at that kind of gathering okay I guess to kind of bank off that, you know, the Virginia had last year, it's the only one that I've had from experience, but, uh, you know, we had a tiger, we had a bear, no lions, we had a wolf, we had a kitsune, and we had a non-therian there, and everyone got along perfectly fine. There was no species or interspecies turmoil or anything like that. Everybody seemed to kind of get along fine. All right. So should howls be considered spiritual events or limited to spiritual therians? And what role does or can spirituality play in howls? I guess we'll start with you, Stormy. I think it's up to the host and the people attending because I've had howls that are just strictly campouts and, you know, enjoy the moment, have fun together. And I have um, been to howls that are strictly spiritual where, you know, there was an application process for, for those particular howls. And it was just to like weed out the people who aren't serious and just want to 
be there to be there. But it depends on the people attending. Sometimes spiritual things do happen, like a regular howl. We had a sweat lodge at that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with Storm Dancer there. They don't necessarily have to be spiritual. I, I think it's great if they are, because in many ways we've lost sight of the spiritual aspect of therianthropy. If you look at the FAQ for AHWW, it was originally called spiritual therianthropy, although that was largely to distinguish it from clinical therianthropy. But spirituality was a huge part of the early community and the Howells. Um, but I don't believe it's strictly necessary. One could totally have an entirely secular Howell, and they've certainly been held. And many of the more uh, sort of meetup style get together and see a movie kind of Howells have been involved with those too. And, and those are secular, and that's great. As long as the spiritual component is optional to the secular folks and everyone's respectful of each other's beliefs, I think it's great. Although I do think that more spirituality is better and that being able to discuss those perspectives and experience them is a very useful tool. And I find that kind of useful. I'm actually using that kind of insight to help evolve the 2019 HAL. So hopefully it'll give those who are looking into hosting HALs in the future something to kind of consider. Yeah, it sounds great. All right. So in your opinions... What makes for a good howl? Are there things like a target number of attendees or certain activities you can think that would benefit attendees, you know, impactful ways? Or what degree of isolation or disconnection from the modern world should we shoot for? I guess we can start with you, Bear. I think as they get above 15 participants, it requires a much more nuanced handling because there, there gets to be enough people and enough different uh, opinions and perspectives that it kind of it's it's harder to form consensuses about what to do. As for what makes a howl good, how do I feel after it? Do I miss it? <laughs> you know, uh, post-howl depression. As it <laughs> do I feel energized after it? Do I feel recharged? If, if I feel recharged and I feel like it was a good experience, you know, I wish I were back there, then I feel like then it was a good howl. Right. But I think if there's a balance between relaxation and activities – and if I feel more strongly connected to the participants uh, after the event, if there was no drama, I mean, all of those things contribute to it being a good howl and a good experience. Yeah, I think uh, 10 to 15 is a good number. I've been to some where it's like 20, 25 people and getting everything organized and getting everyone involved is, is like herding cats, basically. No offense intended. Hey, uh-huh. So I guess we'll move on to the fun part. What are some of the stories that you'd like to share from Howls of the Past? Going to start with Stormy. Oh, well, we've, uh, I remember uh, several of the Southeast Howls that we've had. And the time of year when we held them, we tend to get a lot of storms that just blow over the valley. So there's one year where a storm blew through, flooded us out knocked some trees over the uh, the logging trail so we couldn't get in or out, and we had to be rescued by the rangers. So that there goes along with saying, you know, know the weather for the area that you want to have the howl in. <laughs> right. Most of my experiences were just normal camping and hanging out. So, well, there is one that sticks out for me. I had a fellow bear. I'm going to refer to him as P, letter P, and we were doing backcountry camping in Yellowstone, and it was about two in the morning, and he had his tent, and I had my tent, and the moon was out, and we were parking uh, or camping near a meadow. Our, our car was parked about a mile away, and we heard this splashing, and I, I heard him, you know, 
BX, BX, you know, wake up. And I hear the splashing and <laughs> and he says, I think, I think there's something out there. So he leans out of his tent and I lean out of mine, which would have been very comical if it were on film. And we see a female bear and a cub coming through this meadow that was near where we were camping and they were walking up the stream. So we got out of our tents and this was late 90s. So there's still a lot of burnt down trees from the fires there in Yellowstone. So we, a snag had fallen over and we went behind the snag and waited, figuring if she would move on, but she didn't move on. She and her cub came and investigated our campsite, looked around in the tents and wandered all around. And we were stuck <laughs> behind this log for about 40 minutes. And there was some moments where, even though I knew what the right behaviors were when you encounter a bear in the wild and how to handle things in the most safe possible way, there is a primal part of one's brain that gets activated uh, during those moments where you really have to concentrate and not give in to the thought of just running in terror. Right. <laughs> so uh, once she left, we went back to our tents and it became a, a good story. Uh, you know, something that had happened that was interesting and different, but she completely ignored us. There was no interest there that she and her cub were just interested in the remains of our campfire and the tents. And, and then, then she left. Yeah. Story. Uh, I mentioned the two by fours earlier. Oh Yeah. Back on HWW, we were talking about Old Man Coyote from the, the uh, Native American legends, and he's the trickster and all that. And it came to be that the two-by-four was the strict enforcer of Murphy's Law. So I was gifted a two-by-four by, four by uh, an old Therian that I knew, and uh, I started carrying it around with me to Howl's. And uh, all the participants, I would have sign it as kind of a relic, if you will, of the Therian culture. And it is now morphed into two two-by-fours, and I'm still carrying it around Ethereum gatherings <laughs> and having people sign it and stuff. There's a lot on there, and I will have to um, share pictures of it with TG and others. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yes. But was that Ethereum uh, initials LB? Yes, that is the very two-by-fours. Okay, that's the two-by-fours I, I thought they were. Nice. Uh, it's, it's great that you still have them. You know, and the VA HAL 2018, I actually brought a, a pumpkin for everyone to sign. It's not a uh, <laughs> not an actual pumpkin, but now I'm kind of wondering if it's the cosmic pumpkin. Or if they revived a tradition without realizing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, people should do that. I encourage that, that people have, like, objects that they can sign, like, create little um, traditions in that way. When we had the uh, second... Harvest Howl, the AHWW zine had been created and everyone signed the cover of the zine. I think I still have that in my collection of things. I should uh, dig that out and scan it. Nice. But yeah, something like that, that uh, especially if it's brought between different howls and things like that too, it adds to the connectivity that we were talking about. Okay. So I'm going to move on to one last question and it's perhaps the most important of all. Why are they called howls and not caterwauls? Why don't we change it? We'll just we'll call them caterwauls from now on. Okay, it's the VA Caterwaul 2019. <laughs> it's a conspiracy because wolves rule and cats drool. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. That's the other way around. Have you ever seen uh, Homeward Bound? <laughs> cats rule and dogs drool. I reject your reality and substitute my own. Uh huh. You know what? It probably was just that howl <laughs> was kind of the generic term, and it 
you know, the rest of us didn't really object because I can howl too. I think that that kind of warrants some kind of proof. At least one little meow for us. Meow. No? Does that work? Stormy, come on, you gotta do it too. Modulated and everything. Yeah, exactly. Nice. So now no no chitter sounds. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still working on those. So I'm going to wrap up now. First, I'd like to thank everyone for their patience as the Theory and Guide staff works on the next few episodes and also looks for ways to improve our content and our quality. We're looking to improve our audio uh, specifically. Um, so if you have any feedback, we would appreciate it. Please be kind, but also be honest. If there's anything that you can think of that would help us out, we would appreciate it. I'd also like to bring up that we're trying to make these communities have even, or excuse me, <laughs> these episodes have even more of a community feel. And I've started asking community members to provide samples of their music for use in our intro and outro sequences. Full credit will be given to these artists unless they don't want to be identified. And additional information can be found on TG forums at a link that will be provided along with the release of this episode. For those who are at TG, it's uh, the thread title is Musicians Wanted, Savage Beats, for Therian Talks. This episode also serves as a reminder for two of the howls that we have on our radar. Links will be provided after the show. If you are not a minor, and if you live in eastern or northwestern U.S., or if you wouldn't mind traveling to the house, please check those links out and express any interest in participation. Some of the content has changed for the Virginia Howl, uh, and some of it is reflective of this particular Therian talk. So we've upped the age limit with a preference of 21 or older, but feel free to reach out to me for any additional details or if you have any questions. As always, we would like to have additional topics for these interviews. If you haven't yet, please check out the thread called Interviews, What Kinds of Things Should We Discuss? It's located in the Therian polling area of our forums under the Therianthropy board, and make sure to submit your ideas for future topics. We actually do have a few topics that are in the works. The future episodes we'd like feedback for or suggestions are integration of yourselves. Basically, how do you strike the balance between the, the human and the animal? There's going to be a more playful cat chat. What's it like to be a feline? We would like to have as many questions from non-felines about the feline experience as we can get. And what I'd like to do is reach out to the felines that we have at TG and perhaps some other places and kind of get feedback from a bunch of different people. And this is going to be treated as a pilot episode for our species episodes. And if it's successful, we're going to move on to wolves and bears shortly after and kind of go with that flow. We have a thread started on psychological therianthropy. And what would you like to know about the psychological explorations of this experience? We have an episode in the works about species dysphoria. Again, any kind of questions that you have, it's critical and very helpful for you to put that in the thread or to reach out to someone to have that content added. And lastly, we have a Therian Musicians episode that's kind of in the works. If that's successful, we may actually reach out to see what forms of artists and future content we may have in that regard, too. And with that, we're closing out, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future.